0: Hello, and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Carter. joined, as always, by my co-host,
1: John Carey. And we are here today
0: to talk to you about last week's football games and uh, how those went because both the Huskies and the Seahawks have buys this week. Um, and then we're going to talk the end of the Mariners season, and we'll probably get into this at a later date um, in terms of what we expect for the offseason and things of that nature. But we're going to just kind of discuss our feelings about how the season ended for the Mariners. Uh, obviously, the Jerry DiPoto comments, which have been a major, major discussion point for the, uh, for the Mariners fan base. And uh, we'll definitely get into our value dogs today. I know everybody's really invested in that. Um, John, anything else before we get into a little Coyote picnic?
1: No, let's do it.
0: John talk me through we we obviously you and I have talked a little bit about the Mariners in the end of their season uh, but mm-hmm. we haven't talked to the listeners talk me through your thoughts and just kind of your opinions about how the season went um, kind of reactions to the last 10 games we have the, the listeners haven't heard your thoughts about the Mariners over the last 10 games so give give them no. a little rundown
1: no we have not yeah last we talked we were going into that crucial Astros game and there was still a chance and then you and our, our amazing guest host, Ian, took it home from there. But, uh, yeah, we're going to have to, you know, we might have to make a change. We'll have to talk about not doing Coyote Picnic for the intro song and doing, like, Danny Boy or some equally <laughs> devastating Irish ballad uh, to uh, send the Mariners off into their great beyond. Um, the Mariners missed the postseason. It was a very tight race. Um. I I can't actually recall. Did they miss it by a game, game and a half, that last wildcard spot?
0: It can't have been a game and a half because everybody played 162. But uh, I think it was, yeah, (laughs) a game.
1: (laughs) That's why we have Tyler on here. (laughs) Um, Something like a game. It was very close. Um, As we called, those last three series between the Rangers and the Astros uh, were massive, and we just didn't get it done particularly in that first uh rangers series getting swept so um disappointing really really disappointing um we're gonna talk a decent amount about the mariners and this season and what it means um give a little context on on what's what's happened um but yeah as an overview it's a real bummer um it has been a season of ups and downs um what it's really felt like is it's felt like a, like a decaying, like sinusoidal function for all my nerds out there <laughs> where Jesus. At, the start, at the start of the year, the ups and downs were like these big, slow adjustments. You know, it was basically the first half of the year was between bad and ho-hum. And then the next third of the year was unbelievably amazing. And then the last, you know, sixth of the year however that math works out was just like a wildly swinging up and down affair um ending with with a a good bit of down there so um i can't say that i'm like completely shocked there were several times this year we you know were kicking dirt onto the mariners and uh they had the cojones to come back and and make us believe again but uh, it is disappointing to be sitting here today on the outside looking in
0: yeah as we said uh i believe you know a month from the end of the season we were very hyped about the end of it but a month before that we thought the mariners were out um yeah yeah everything that we've said this entire season has been exactly how john just described a sinusoidal function of back and forth ups and downs and uh It's, it's tough to come away from a season thinking that it wasn't, wasn't great, um, with, with all that momentum coming into the last month of the season and then, uh, really just fizzling out. Um, we don't know, we don't really know if it was due to pitching, if it was due to just kind of the guys running out of steam, um, if it was due to the Astros and the Rangers actually playing up to, up to where actually they, people thought they would play to. Um, but in general, it was definitely, Definitely disappointing. Um, I will note that obviously the Astros got the buy the Ra- the Rangers just got s- or they just swept the Rays pretty handily in the wild card round, yeah. and they've been playing yeah. really good baseball. Um, so th- over those last ten games, it was tough to tough to see those losses come at the hands of the Rangers. Uh, but overall, they're a good team. They're, they're better than us. Like I said, um, with like I talked about with Ian, I think the Rangers are a better team than us. Cal Raleigh talked about that when he had a post game press conference when they got eliminated. Um, and it's just, it's tough to watch all of the hope in Seattle just kind of like disappear and fade over the last week. It was, everybody was very excited. And um, it's tough to be here right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. Yeah. The thing about the Rangers being better, that, I think that's up for a bit of debate. Some of us still think the Rangers are frauds, but uh, <laughs> no, they, they, finished the want, <laughs> they, they finished the season great. They finished uh, the season great. They were getting healthy as the year came down. They had quite the collapse there right before the home stretch, and I think a lot of that can be attributed to injuries and fatigue. So um, I, you know... The thing about us is, like, we hate the Astros and, like, actively want bad things to happen to them. You know, I, I guess I can't speak for you. I don't hate the Rangers. Like, I've got nothing against the Rangers. I like their players. Um, you know, obviously seeing a, a Seager succeed at the highest level is is always, you know, puts a little smile on the face of a, on a Mariners fan. So, um, you know, happy for them you know i want every astros player to to get horrible foot mangling <laughs> injuries but uh i'm rooting for the rangers you know al west pride wanna wanna show that we're the best division in baseball um and yeah yeah their their handling of the rays was was a good sign that they deserve to be there because i don't i'm not sure we would have swept the rays too well in the wild card so um yeah you got to be okay with that I guess, um, yeah, with that being said, with the moratorium on, I wanted to just like talk about a couple snapshots of uh, the year, the Mariners' year, this year to kind of just provide some context for what a what a ride it's been. I'm currently just scrolling, look, trying to find what the standings MLB standings were at the end of June. When things were just looking so bleak, when we were just waiting and waiting and waiting for them to turn over the leaf, um, and they hadn't yet. Um, I don't have the standings in front of me, but I know for a fact that they were below 500. They were two, three games below 500 in late June, and we were just so baffled by this team. Like, what are they going to be? are they going to you know we can't we can't honestly expect them to have a tear like they did last year post all-star and then what did they do they had an unbelievable tear post all-star um July and August were were two amazing months for Mariners fans we finished August at 76 and 57 what is that 19 games above 500 that's just awesome we were first in the AL West for the blink of an eye, um, had a three and a half game lead on the Blue Jays, who were the third wild card at the time. Um yeah, that was also I guess I guess yeah we do, we got two of the three, but um yeah, there was a time there where it's like, is there a chance that all four ALS teams could make it? But no, Tampa Bay was too strong. Um and yeah, from there it was it was, you know, a lot of ho-hum, a lot of up and down. Um, and a lot of that had to do with our best player, Julio. Um, he was so great in those months, and then he continued to be an absolute rock for us during some tough stretches in September. Um, and there was, yeah, there was one point where he was hitting home runs every other day. We thought I was going to owe you some, guess, some money for our 35 home run bet. And then... Uh, I actually didn't even know this, but you were saying that he finished the season on just a snail's pace, that things really slowed down there at the end.
0: Yeah, he, uh, over those, I think it was the last 10 games, he was hitting, like, 125, and the only thing he was doing was hitting home runs to, like, right field. Like, he couldn't He couldn't hit a ball on the ground. Everything was a fly out. Um, and it really just looked like he kind of slunk back. I don't know if it may, maybe it's an injury. Maybe it was something like that. Um But yeah, he really fizzled out towards the end there, and then uh, Teo really fizzled out towards the end. He had a great stretch um, kind of at the start of, or end of August into the start of September and was also carrying the team there um, as we, you know, when we won a few games in September, but they couldn't do it. Um, One thing that I want to note is I think the good teams, the teams that are in the playoffs right now, are built... Because they can hit. The The reason they're playing well right now is because they can hit. We we noted months ago.
1: How many times did we note?
0: <laughs> many times. Um, the pitchers get tired. Pitching is the more exhausting thing for your body. Um, hitting is something that you can do day in and day out. And the teams with the best hitters make it to the playoffs. That's just how it works. Um, obviously, the Angels are kind of the the one outlier there, but that's because their pitching is absolutely atrocious. Um, but I think in general, the Rangers are good because they're scoring five and a half runs a game in the playoffs right now, and they haven't allowed a run. They've allowed one run over two games. Um, everybody says the postseason is about pitching, and it is to some extent, but hitting gets the job done. That's like the thing that yeah. we, we've been lacking for the last decade plus, two decades. And the only reason we made the playoffs last year is because our pitching was so good and didn't get injured. But pitcher, pitchers get injured more frequently than hitters do, and we gotta—we really course. have to step it up.
1: Far like, more frequently.
0: Exactly, kind of like what uh, Cal Raleigh was saying. We gotta, you know, make gives get get some accountability to Jerry Depoto and, and John Stanton and the front office, and just say, hey. It it might take a big deal to get a bat that's going to get us to the playoffs and to that World Series because the team is not built for it right now.
1: Um, yeah, and the irony there is like Cal Raleigh being like, <laughs> "When you step up our hitting, it's like, yeah, Cal, look in the mirror, dude. Like, <laughs> we love the clutch home runs, but any chance you can bat over two thirty for us? Goodness, <laughs> that, that's a hot take, um, bud. I, I I like Cal, man. He's he's a great catcher, but. I don't want to hear anybody who's batting under 250 talking about how the team needs to make changes. It's like, I don't know, man, maybe stop hitting up all my fucking 24 year old friends on hinge and fucking focus on improving your bat. Um, Love you, Cal. Just, just a little bit. You're going to make an Um, enemy right here. (laughs) No, no, I'm I'm saying this because I love Cal. I'm just saying he can be better. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a, a side note is that I've cracked all sports, like I've, I've got them figured out, you know, you're always trying to figure out this balance between offense and defense, and there's that much-touted, you know, phrase, defense wins championships, and the defense wins championships is the, you know, pitching, pitching wins in the postseason equivalent for baseball, um, and in both scenarios, what gets you to the postseason is offense. The top offenses make it to the postseason as a general rule, um, and then once those top offenses make the postseason, of those top offenses, it's the teams with the best defenses and the teams with the best pitching um, that advance. Um, so you know, Mariners, and that's the thing about the Mariners. It's what's you know, it's frustrating. You know, it. We, it's, we can't necessarily say we deserve to be there, but this is a team that's built for like postseason play, and I don't think anybody wants a two-game series against us in the postseason. So we're almost built to excel more at the next level than we are to excel during the regular season. Um, so to miss it by a game is, is just tough because that's what this team is built for. Um, but the fact that we're not there, we know exactly what to point to. You hit the nail on the head. Trade deadline came around. We made a couple, you know. We love Rojas. We love Kenzone. Both of those guys have worked out well. But, you know, we were talking about going and getting, like, you know, Goldschmidt or some big name that can really make a difference. And the fact of the matter is that once again, for the umpteenth time in a row, the Mariners are not shelling out bucks to get big bats in the door. Um, it's all we can do to hold on to the big bats we develop in-house. Goodness gracious. Every Mariners fan has a laundry list of, of good bats that have left because we couldn't afford them. Um, so, yeah, just frustrating. I know you have some thoughts on Depodo. Um, but, yeah, I guess it's not a surprise that we missed it by a game because as talented as our pitching staff is and as great as Julio is... um. When you look at this roster and you take our second best bat, I is Crawford our sec like just it, you know completely subjective. If I was to say who is the second best bat on the Mariners, would you say Crawford or Hernandez?
0: Oh, it would be Crawford purely because of Crawford's numbers were supported throughout the season. Um, yeah,
1: well, Hernandez just came on late. Yeah, and obviously,
0: I think another note is
1: JP like.
0: Came on at the end of the, at the end of the season and was the only guy that was really feeling it. Um, that's just yeah. Crawford's our second best bat at the moment, and Teo's gone. We we have to you know we're gonna send him a qualifying offer, but at the moment we don't have Teoscar Hernandez on our team right now.
1: Correct. Yeah, that's a really good point. And also, and my point was I figured the answer was Crawford, but. That's not fucking good enough. <laughs> J.P. Crawford is an awesome, like, fourth guy on a championship team. He's, like, an awesome fourth guy. But he can't be the second-best bat on a team that has real postseason, you know, desire. Like, goodness gracious, the second-best bat on the Dodgers is Mookie Betts. <laughs> um, Shout-out Freddie Freeman. Uh, yeah, the fact that he is our number-two guy. It just does not cut it. It just doesn't cut it. Um, I love JP, and I want him to be buried in a Mariners uniform. But um, we need to get some more top-end talent to support some of these less than stellar runs that the team seems to go on every year. Um, with that in mind, I know you had some Jerry Depoto thoughts. Do you wanna? Do you wanna share them? Do you wanna? Sp- spill some venom
0: yeah yeah uh let's break it down a little bit so jerry depoto had the postseason press conference or i guess end of season press conference um during the games on tuesday i believe uh by the way we're recording this on wednesday october 4th um at about 7 p.m so that's how we know the twins and the rangers have both won their series uh and DePoto, for the, the reason that that is important is because you cannot air a press conference during the postseason games, just like by MLB's rules. And so they kind mm-hmm. of did this press conference in a way that means that they were a little bit hiding from what they were going to say during it um, sure. and hiding from the people kind of coming at them. Um, but let me just read you this quote from the press conference from DePoto. And I want you to give your initial reaction, and then I'll kind of talk about my overall thoughts. Obviously, Mariners Twitter has been ranting a ton about this. But here is uh, Jerry Depoto. If you go back and you look in a decade, those teams that win 54% of the time always wind up in the postseason. And they, more often than not, wind up in the World Series. So there's your bigger picture process. Nobody wants to hear the goal this year is we're going to win 54% of the time because sometimes 54% is one year you're going to win 60% and another year you're going to win 50%. It's whatever it is. But over time, that type of mindset gets you there. If what you're doing is focusing year to year on what do we have to do to win the World Series this year, you might be one of the teams that's laying in the mud and can't get up for another decade. John, initial reactions.
1: Okay. Um... Yeah. My reactions are actually pretty nuanced when you'd given me kind of a uh a, abridged a version of that quote yeah. before we got on and my feelings were pretty spicy. You were he would essentially what I had heard originally was just he was saying we just want to win fifty four percent of our games. Um and that, that made me pretty frustrated, um, and just thinking you know, I'm I'm a Phoenix Suns basketball fan, at least until we get the Sonics back in Seattle. And that that fifty four percent mindset was very much uh, the ex owner. Gosh, why can't I think of his name now? I've already for his his stench has already been <laughs> washed clean and Sarver. Um Thank you, Robert Sarver. I'm no longer remembering him. That's good, that's progress. Um but he was a guy that was constantly Mariners fans would love him um he was constantly letting talented free agents walk because he didn't want to pay him he was never bringing in big names um the the teams would have these stretches of being awful and then they would have these bright moments with these self-built young stars um and they would you know be right at the edge of the playoff or they would make a tiny little playoff run and it's like okay what are we going to do now And every time it happened, time and time again, with Drogic and with Bledsoe and with all these Phoenix Suns, I don't know, I'm listing their names, you don't know them, Um, (laughs) they just didn't do anything, the team didn't, and, you know, it would fade away, and then we'd be crap again, and it was so frustrating. Um, And I think the idea is like, hey, if the team's winning just enough, I'm still making money, I don't really give a shit about winning, Um, fuck you, essentially, and I hated that. And that when you said initially fifty four percent, that's what I was kind of thinking he was about. Here in that whole quote, I yeah, I have a much. I think I have a, a different take. So I, I'll actually let you go first. If you have, why don't you get yours off your chest?
0: All right. Um, the Mariners have won fifty four percent of their games, like eight times in the last ten seasons, and they've made the playoffs once. The fifty four percent of your games is not enough. The average AL West division winner wins 60% of their games. You need to win 60% of your games if you're going to want to compete for the actual AL West crown. If you're not choosing to compete for that number, what the fuck are you doing being a GM? You're here to win championships. You're not, like, obviously I understand wanting the team to be good over an extended period of time. That gives you security in your job. But the fact of the matter is, even if this is like, kind of a good statement because he's saying, hey, sometimes we're going to win some, sometimes we're going to lose some. This year wasn't that year. Um, we have yet to win 60% of our games over the last 10 years, it, or like during Jerry DePoto's tenure. It hasn't happened yet, and he hasn't done that for us at all. It's just like, it's kind of mind-boggling to think that the Mariners have had, you know, they're one of four teams with 88 win seasons for the last three seasons. And the other teams are the Astros, the Braves, and the Dodgers. They're the only teams that have been consistently winning those games. And the Astros, Braves, and Dodgers have all built their teams to compete for long stretches of time. That's the whole point. You have to add players for long stretches of time and spend money. And I get that John Stanton doesn't have the budget that the Dodgers, Astros, and Braves do. And, you know... Or maybe it's not John Stanton. It's Jared Depoto. John Stanton has, has not wanted to commit money the way that those teams do.
1: Correct. John Stanton can do whatever the fuck he wants, but he's just not helping us out.
0: Yeah, and at that point, it's like, what are like? The Mariners are bringing in three million fans a season. I went to the Braves game on Sunday when I was in Atlanta, and they were bringing in three million fans a season. That, that was like they were like, oh, this is our record. The Mariners are doing that too, and they the Braves are competing for a World Series right now, and they're probably the favorites. If you're not yeah, putting dirt- in the money that the that the product is getting is providing you, what are you doing? Why do you own a baseball team? You're pocketing team? it.
1: You're it's pocketing so dumb. It. And that's it's the dirty secret about sports team ownership is that in today's era when you can sell a team for literally billions of dollars, there's not a professional sport franchise in the United States in the big three anyway that isn't worth at least two billion dollars. Um, Anybody with that kind of capital can afford to bring in a couple extra free agents. At that point it is purely a money move. When you see these teams and there's a reason that it just happens year after year and you only see a change when ownerships change, is like it's not a financial issue. It's the owner doesn't care about he or they care way less about winning than they do about saving, you know, two hundred million dollars. Which I guess is fair, but then yeah, why the hell are you owning a, a team? Why don't you can you please just go invest your money and sell the team to somebody that wants to win? Once again, Suns fan, we got a new owner and he's spending tons of money. Are all his decisions good? I don't know. I still fucking love him. Like he's he's emptying his pockets to give this team a chance to win, and that's what you want in ownership. And yeah, the dirty secret is the Mariners have everything at their disposal to be as good as the Braves year after year. You know, we may not have Yankees or Dodgers money, but those two teams aside, we can we can be the Astros, but ownership just doesn't seem to want to be. And yeah, my more nuanced take was that like I kind of do appreciate the not going all in mentality of like hey, you know, best to build slowly. But you know, with the situation Seattle's in, with the ownership situation we're in, as a GM, you have to understand that. And I think maybe I actually disagree. Of like, look at like the smaller market teams that have won championships in recent years. Look at teams like the Milwaukee Bucks in basketball, or um, I'm trying to think of other good examples. The Cubs in 2016 is another great example. Yeah, great one. Um, these are teams that go all in on the years that there are to go all in on. They see that the team has a lot of potential, and they say, hey, we know who we are. We need to swing now, and we need to swing hard. And if we suck, that's part of the reason, you know, Cubs miss the playoffs. Cubs fans don't really care, man. Cubs fans are still partying from 2016. When you can take your shot, and you're a smaller market team, you have to take it. And if you miss, that sucks. Build up again, recharge again, take your shot again. But if you're not the Dodgers, you can't afford to build slow and wait and see over time. You need to see when the window is open, and you need to swing big. Um, The Rams, you know, L.A., that's still a big market. But the Rams are a great example in football. Talk about a team that's like, oh, no, the window's open now. We are trading all our picks for the next five years we're signing old veterans that we know are good. We're going all in on this, like, three-year window. And they were great, and they won a Super Bowl. And the next year, they were absolute trash. And you know what? That's a good way to do it. They don't care. Dude. Yeah, fans don't care. Getting to the top of the mountain is the hardest thing. And if you can do it two times in five years, then God bless you. But if you can do it once every 15 years, that's fucking great. Um... And yeah, I, I was feeling a little kinder to Depoto and now I'm swinging all the way back. It's like, no, you also, his math is wrong. You said it. It's like, no, dude, we've been winning 54% of our games and we haven't won 60. So I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. That's just wrong. (laughs) Um, the division's too tough. The AL is too tough. Yeah, they got to It'll be interesting to see what happens this off season. Um, I think it's time to take a swing.
0: Yeah, I agree. I just want to make another note. Obviously, like the Buccaneers are another example. I think football is a good example because teams can just go in and you know try, and they can be bad afterwards. But if you get a Super Bowl or you win the World Series or you win the NBA Finals, nobody's going to care. Everybody loves talking about like the Bucks fans love it talking about their their one championship. Obviously, they don't care about you know last year that they lost. It, it worked out. They, they got what they Correct. wanted.
1: They're, um, they're still winners today, you know.
0: And I want to talk about what happens on the other end of the spectrum. The Padres, who have spent a ton of money over the last couple of years, nobody's mad at the general manager or the front office. No, no the fans aren't upset at them. They've been trying to win, and the outcome just hasn't been what they wanted. But yeah, nobody's like nobody's
1: mad at them. That's and, that's a great example. That's a great example. It's like, they are like the worst case scenario. Of, like, they spent a ton of money and have had basically no success with them, like one or two playoff series wins with this group. But yeah, nobody's pissed off at management. Like, they, I, the fans are kind of pissed at the players, but like, management has taken swings and people love that.
0: Yeah, people can be disappointed. You don't want people to be angry at your team.
1: I think that's the big distinction, is like mm-hmm.
0: the people, you know, they know that the team is trying. And when Depoto says things like this, it feels like the team is not trying to win a World Series, which is the ultimate goal in baseball. That's what we—that's what Correct. we want. We want to feel like the team is putting in that effort, and uh, yeah. it just hasn't. O-
1: ownership is ownership is not putting this team in a position to truly contend. At that point, the team has to do the rest. But ownership has to get them to that level. Yeah, look at the fucking Padres. Yeah, they didn't even make the playoff. They're had the most disappointing year of anybody. But we were talking about JP being our second best hitter. They have Machado, Tatis, and Juan Soto. <laughs> Good Lord. Talk about top-end hitting talent. Um, And so, yeah, you look at that situation and you say, okay, Thank thank you, ownership. Maybe you didn't think the best about what personalities would fit, but you obviously went out and got big names with big impacts on their previous teams trying to get this team over the top, and then the team didn't do a good enough job of gelling and doing their job. But, yeah, nobody can be upset. They can be disappointed in the Padres, but they can't be angry at management. That was a great way of phrasing it. We're not disappointed in the Mariners because the Mariners played their fucking hearts out. We're angry at management because they didn't put this team in position to succeed by giving them the talent they need on the field.
0: I don't yeah, I don't think there's anything else to say. I think that's kind of our frustrations summed up in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, that was that was good. That wasn't <laughs> That was a decent thirty minute rant on, was, on the Mariner's. That was here. cathartic.
0: I needed that. I needed to just like vent yeah. the frustrations.
1: <laughs> No, that was good for me too. And, and, you know, a bow on the year. We'll, we'll touch on the Mariners here and there, especially as news comes up, but, uh, that's it. That's a wrap on 2023 for the Mariners and, and for significant Mariners content. So, uh, Go M's. <laughs> Go M's. And hey, if you're listening to this and you want
0: more Mariners content, want more offseason discussion, we can definitely provide that. Send us questions, send us stuff that you want us to talk about. I think we'll probably do like team superlatives at some point. Um,
1: oh, That's a great idea. We'll do some fun stuff. We'll do some yeah, gimmicky stuff.
0: We'll do some fun stuff in the, in the coming weeks. But that's going to be kind of it for a little while on uh, the 2023 Mariners yeah. team. Yeah,
1: rest in peace. All right, why don't we take a little break, and uh, when we come back, we can jump into some funner talk about some successful Washington team. <laughs> I love it. This episode is brought to you by Depoto Sportsbook, <laughs> the newest sportsbook on the market. We don't need DraftKings. We don't need FanDuel. All you need to do is win 54% of your bets and you're making a profit. Come to just photo sports books and turn your cash into slightly larger piles of cash.
0: All right. Welcome back, John. Um, after that rough discussion, I do want to talk about something that's, that was pretty good this weekend. Um, let's talk Washington Huskies and their light beating of the Arizona Wildcats. It was a close game. I'll give them that much. Um,
1: Yes, light beating is a good description.
0: Yeah. So, uh, were you able to watch this game? Did you Did you catch anything? I believe I was asleep for most of it, um, as I was again in Atlanta. But it looks like Penix had another great game, and the defense just was not uh, not holding it down very well.
1: Yeah, that's funny, man. I, for the record, have been on the East Coast this entire time, and I did stay up and watch this game, so I don't want to hear your weak-ass excuses. Um, Yeah, 31-24 UW win over the Arizona Wildcats, bringing the Huskies to 5-0, seventh in the country by the AP poll. Um, Yes, that is a score that you see on, uh, you read it in the newspaper and you say, oh, wow, Arizona, they played the Huskies pretty tight um and it is a a bit of an overstatement they scored a very garbage time touchdown late in the fourth quarter to cut it to seven um it was a two-score game for a majority of the game um a light beating is an excellent way to describe it because yes the huskies did not pull away the way they've managed to in literally every other game this season um but at no point during that game did I actually think Arizona was going to beat the Huskies. Um, so yeah, it was a good game. As you noted, the defense was not playing super sharp. Um, if you look at the team stats, it's a pretty good reflection of the actual game. you are just like, huh, how was this actually that close? Because Penix was really solid, 30 for 40, 360 yards, zero touchdowns. I hate to see that. They had... All four of their offensive touchdowns scored on the ground. Um, and, you know, it doesn't matter for the team, but it does matter for Penix's Heisman race, especially when Caleb Williams is throwing for six against Colorado. Um, but Arizona, yeah, they got outthrown. Rushing was similar. Our yards per play were way better. We were way more efficient on third down. They had to convert a bunch of fourth downs. Um and they just kind of grinded it out. They had a lot of long drives, short passes, three-yard runs, chip, chip, chip away, um, and managed to put up 24 on us. I thought it was more of an effort issue and, and scheme issue with the UW defense, more than any like major concerns. I don't think they were exploiting anything, um, more just playing chippy football and you know, that's part of the thing of when you're up 14 in the second half of a conference game and the other team is happy to be taking three yard runs, you typically give them the three yard runs because it was a quick game. They ate up a ton of time and, uh, you know, it was in hand basically the entire time. So yeah, good win by the Huskies, not their best. Um, if they would have won bigger, I could have seen them jump in a couple teams in the AP, but, uh, yeah, a good one, and then a bye upcoming.
0: Yeah, I think something to note that Arizona did really well that is is a little scary because it's something that I'm sure we'll see in, in the coming games. Um, they basically just threw everybody, all their defenders deep. They, they didn't allow for the deep passes. Um, Adunze had five receptions for 64 yards. Jalen Polk had five receptions for 41 yards. Those guys have been ha- had been having monster seasons, and... Penix just wasn't able to hit them deep because their safeties and their cornerbacks were basically just sagging off of them and giving them 10 yards at a time. You know, we were willing, willing to take those earlier on in the game. At one point it was 28 to 10. Um, and we were willing to take those. And then I think Penix just might've gotten a little impatient. Um, and just, you know, kind of the, the game kind of got away from them in the sense of later, later on, um, we were trying to take the, take those deep shots, and just nothing was nothing was coming of it. Um, and we ended up rushing for a lot. Uh, Dylan Johnson had our had ninety one rushing yards, which is good. It's a really good game. Um, and Jeremy Bernard was our leading receiver with eight receptions for ninety eight yards, which shows you know a lot more short yardage um, passes, which I think is something to uh, something to note, something that Oregon can definitely exploit. And uh, they definitely have the offense to compete with us. And if our team is not scoring the way that we normally do and our defense is playing the way that it was, Oregon scares me a little bit in a couple of weeks. Um, not, yeah, not looking those, forward to it.
1: Those are really, really good points. Yeah, if, if our offense and defense plays the way they did today, we will lose that game to Oregon. Um, the reason I'm not that concerned about it is I think we will be get way more up for that organ game. We'll also have a whole week with this bye to prepare for him. Um, I should say two weeks. Um, so I'm expecting much better defensive scheming, much better defensive effort. Um, and honestly, offensively, I wasn't super unhappy with things. I think you, you absolutely hit the nail on the head, and it was— the biggest point of what stymied our offense in terms of explosiveness is, yeah, they were sending extra D backs deep every single time. Um, fun fact, McMillan out, he was hurt again. If you take McMillan off the board in the first four games of, of the Husky season, uh, a and Polk have been either one or two in receiving yards. Every single one of those games, the two of them have had the top two spots along with McMillan. Um, Today, they were second and fifth in receiving yards, respectively. That tells you everything you need to know. We were getting the ball to a lot of different guys because we were running an offense that we weren't necessarily used to, which is just flaying people down the seams against single coverage. Um, They were sending extra D-backs deep, so we were taking a ton of, as you were saying, five to seven-yard receptions, four-yard runs, chip, chip, chip you know, we scored 31, we were pretty efficient, one turnover, um, one or two punts. Uh, so the offense was good today, but it's hard to put up 50 when, you know, you're having these 15 play drives because you're not getting 50 yard bombs to a Dunze and Polk. So, um, honestly, the offense, I would give the offense like a seven or eight out of 10 for their performance. They took what the defense gave them and they scored a lot of touchdowns. Um, any four touchdown day for a college team is a, a good day. So we'll need to be better on both sides of the ball, a lot sharper against Oregon. I think Oregon is really really good on both sides of the ball. We were talking both of us are way more nervous about the Oregon game than we are about the <laughs> USC game. Um Caleb Williams and all man, that USC defense is bad and <laughs> letting Colorado come back and make it as close as it was is Shit tells you everything you need to know about why we're a lot more scared of Bo Nix and his crew. But yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting. I yeah, I think this game isn't easy to look at. Like, oh, I don't think it was that big of a deal. I think their offense took what was available, and their defense was a little, little subpar.
0: Yeah, I think one one last note is when you're taking those shorter routes and running the ball more, you're just using more clock. You can't score as much. Um, Correct. And so, you know, our, obviously our offense was limited in scoring just because of that. And, uh, our defense, I think was the real, the real slight concern. We've allowed 32 and 24 points the last two games. Um, I believe, I don't remember exactly the score of the, uh, the Cal game, but yeah, it's something to, something to be a little worried about with defense. Obviously if the offense is cooking, we'll be okay, but definitely something to think about.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And also, you know, with some of these blowouts, it can turn into, a, you know, like a self-generating cycle where, you know, if Dub would have gotten like one more touchdown of separation and gotten up like 20, then Arizona can't chip, chip, chip away. They have to start taking shots to try and close the gap and not waste too much time. And if they have to do that, they're either going to score quickly or they're going to have to punt or turn the ball over which then allows our offense back onto the field and we can score again. And then they have to try to score even quicker. And that's how you get these like 50 to seven blowouts where we're just running all over a team is they have to make up so much distance that they, you know, have to take the kind of shots we love taking (laughs) um, and just let our offense have the ball for, you know, three quarters of the game. Um, This, this was a more typical close game of they never panicked credit to Arizona they never panicked. They were always happy to take the five yards if it was available. Um, and because of that, they played a pretty clean game and, yeah, made it look closer than it was and and played a solid game. So I, I'm not super nervous. Um, if we play Oregon, we're going to be hoping for the exact same thing. We're going to be hoping if they get an early lead that we can keep it close so that we don't find ourselves in that negative feedback loop of college football that can lead to pretty gross blowouts. It's exactly what happened in the Oregon Colorado game, by the way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, I think, you know, all in all great good win. Um you want to move on to Washington State? Get a little Washington State
1: talking here? Yeah, help me out. I I gotta be honest. I didn't see anything about Washington State, so I'm I'm clueless on this one.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Washington State is currently four and zero. They've got a couple really good wins. Um, let me just pull up their schedule. They have they beat Colorado State fifty to twenty four. Obviously, they're better than Colorado as we've seen. They beat <laughs> number nineteen Wisconsin thirty one to twenty two. They beat Northern Colorado sixty four to twenty one, and then they beat Oregon State. It looks like they had Don't a bye week it. last week. They beat Oregon State thirty eight to
1: thirty five. Say it um, ain't so. That game hurt.
0: So. That's something to note. I want to, I want to talk about Cam Ward. Cam Ward has been an amazing quarterback. Everybody's talking about him like being in the Heisman race right now. He's currently completing seventy five percent of his passes with fourteen hundred yards um, and thirteen interceptions or thirteen touchdowns and no interceptions. Uh, he's just been super solid. I don't think he's you know going to compete for the Heisman in all honesty, but he's looking like a good and there's discussion about him being a good NFL caliber quarterback just at the rate he's going. Um, it would suck for him to get really good and then transfer because I feel like that's what happens to Wazoo quarterbacks. But Wazoo has been very good for this year, and uh, currently things are just still looking up, you know?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good call. He has been awesome. We were talking about him before the even, season even started, about Cam Ward and him being a potentially exciting fit there at Wazoo. We know they'd love to air out the ball in Pullman. Um, yeah, great start for them this is the highest they've been ranked. I I reckon it's gotta be at least five years since they were cracking the top 15, but, um, very exciting. They'll get Oregon right after we do. So after we crush Oregon's confidence, they can come in and and pick at the scraps and try to get the one, two punch on them. (laughs) Um, but yeah, they've been really good. Cam Ward's been awesome. Um, he is a junior at Washington state. So he is draft eligible this year. It is worth noting. He will probably not go to the draft this year. And that is because this is the deepest quarterback class, um, that the draft has had in at least five or six years. Um, there are going to be a lot of first and third and fourth round quarterbacks, um, that would be above Cam Ward, at least in the projected rankings. So it makes more sense for him to hold off a year, potentially transfer to a bigger, you know, brand school, um, and try to get drafted next year when the quarterback class is significantly watered down compared to this year. A couple guys might do similar strategies just to get away from the uh, – blockage of quarterbacks in this year's draft it is when you look at it it's kind of crazy caleb williams drake may panics um uh, shadour sanders bo nicks bo nicks. there's a couple there are a couple other ones too um, just a
0: bunch of really good pac-12 quarterbacks <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah all the yeah all the pac-12 guys there's another guy, oh yeah, Quinn Ewers from Texas was like the number one white-ranked quarterback prospect in the country a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and he's having a great year. Um, yeah, there are going to be a lot of guys drafted this year. So um, it'll be interesting to see what what he and his team decide. If he chooses to stick around in Pullman, obviously, you know, we would we would support that. Um, but uh, big year for Cam Ward. Hopefully he keeps it up. 4-0. Next big game for them is against Oregon in two weeks.
0: Yeah, love that Washington State Cougar success. Can't complain.
1: Yeah, love to see it. Be hopefully a good good Apple Cup at the end of the year.
0: (laughs) I think it'll be really good. I think, God, whoever wins that, do you think they could win the Pac-12? Do you think it could come down to Washington Washington State?
1: Uh, I'm not sure if Washington State has the talent on both sides to hang with Oregon. Um, That will be... Very clear. If that game's close, then then maybe. But uh, yeah, we'll see. I think I think what's more likely is is they take a couple losses to some of these higher end Pac-12 teams, and then at the end of the year, when we're ranked number three in the country, they (laughs) they fucking pull out the apple cup and ruin our postseason chances again. But uh, but we'll see. Yeah, that's me knocking on my wood table.
0: (laughs) Um. All right. Shall we move to uh, some Seahawks discussion?
1: Yes. Let's talk about the Seahawks uh, this week. The Hawks stus stomped the New York Giants twenty-four to three. It was a close game through two quarters. I guess a quarter and a half, um, and then the Seahawks separated and never looked back. A uh, lot to talk about here. What were your initial thoughts, T?
0: Well, I was on a plane during this game and god
1: damn it dude dude it's
0: (laughs) my life has been a a, a storm for the last little bit but uh why don't
1: you just sit the rest of this pot out god damn
0: (laughs) um but i did see devin witherspoon's 97 yard pick six that was crazy bobby wagner with 17 tackles that was insane gino had kind of an average game i think the offense didn't play super amazing but uh yeah they, they got the job done against a team who was atrocious they, they i think i remember seeing we had 10 sacks the most in monday night football ever um yeah our our defense just played amazing which is fair because we played the giants
1: yeah we actually had 11 sacks so um pretty great uh, just a just a clerical note wagner had 9 tackles and 8 assists um, some people tally those differently but if you think bobby had 17 iso tackles no (laughs) yeah yeah he had a a great game vintage game but not quite not quite that game no Um, but
0: just very involved on the defensive
1: end absolutely you know nine tackles eight assists that's an awesome game i love bobby i'm so glad he's back um this was by far i no surprise we gave up three points but by far the best defensive performance that this team's put together and you know it did happen to come against a bad offense missing their best player with a quarterback who has the confidence of a field mouse right now. Um, <laughs> but it's all, we're also seeing some things. Bobby Wagner is such a goddamn leader and such a dog. I like I, the love I have for Bobby runs so deep and seeing him out there, you know, in the huddle, hyping up the defense to start the game. It was really making me rethink what I think about Bobby in terms of an all-time Seahawk. Um, Thinking about the way that you know Sherman left to San Fran, and you know how all these guys, you know, Cam and and uh, Earl Thomas, uh, Earl both, you know, getting in contract disputes and kind of leaving in a huff. I I watched an interview today here and Marshawn Lynch talk about how he doesn't fuck with Pete Carroll, and it's just like. Shut the fuck up, Marshawn. Like, I love you, but shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> you don't get to talk about Pete Carroll. Like, we love you. We do not love you more than we love Pete Carroll. Um, and I was just thinking, Bobby has just been like a pure ray of light <laughs> for this team, like the entire time, and obviously left for a year and then came back. But it's just so good to have him back, and he's such a leader. And this game, defensively, it was really defined by him the old vet the old statesman hold over from the legion of doom that's still somehow doing it and then the young witherspoon finally breaking out you know he was a top five pick people forget that he went number five overall um expectations for him are sky high and he's been okay the first couple weeks guess what he's a rookie cornerback it happens but <laughs> he was awesome today six tackles, two sacks, and the 97-yard pick six to really put the knife in the Giants' heart. Um, two sacks, and, he, dude, he plays so aggressively. He's big, he's strong, he's fast. He was tackling with so much force. I swear Bobby's been in his ear all week. Um, and I think that was just the funnest part of the game today is it was just Bobby, the old guy, and Witherspoon, the young guy. Um fueling the uh defense and uh yeah made it a pretty easy win
0: yeah i was i was texting my buddy who's a new york giants fan and he was uh he was, he was talking about how if we if they have uh saquon back it might be a close game and they did not have saquon back and it was not a close game. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> and he was yeah he was commenting on like our thoughts you know, he was listening to the last pod, and he was like, "Man, I think the Giants are going to be better than you guys think." And I was like, "Eh, you know, Saquon might lead him in, lead him into the into the game, but uh, yeah, that did not." Happen. For
1: the record, I think I think that's exactly what we said last week. Is like, "Hey, if Saquon plays, this is like a totally different game." Um, but Saquon did not play. Yeah, if Saquon played, it takes a ton of pressure off Daniel Jones. He probably doesn't make as many mistakes, and so much. Of our success in the twenty four to three final score was from Daniel Jones' mistakes. I think he's right. If Saquon played, I think the Giants are a much more dangerous team and it, it could have been closer. I still think we would have won. But um, lucky for us, he didn't play and, and Danny J was was trembling in his boots. <laughs> um worth noting, Giants defense played pretty well. Not like a pretty not a very spectacular offensive showing from the Hawks at all. Gino, 13 of 20, 110 yards and a touchdown. Obviously, he missed a little spell of time there with that dirty hit from Isaiah Simmons, the Giants linebacker. But, uh, you know, he played at least three full quarters and amounted for 110 yards, so not a great Gino game by any means. Drew Locke spelled him and went two for six for 63 yards. <laughs> um if ironically Noah Fant the tight end finished with two receptions for 63 yards if you're wondering why those two numbers seem to match up so well it's because Drew Locke came in and completed two passes to Noah Fant and those are the only two passes the Noah Fant caught um so that was just a kind of a fun little Denver sideshow there (laughs) Locke came in he's like I only know one of these guys on the field I'm just gonna throw to him um but yeah, Fant was our leading receiver with 63 yards. Lockett had 54, Metcalf 34 in a touchdown. So um, Kenneth Walker had a good game, 17 carries for 79 yards. But even then, you know, we didn't have a 100-yard rusher and our leading passer had 110 yards. So offensively, this was nothing to write home about. And part of that is from late second quarter on, we were in cruise control just watching the Giants collapse in on themselves like a dying star. But um, at the same time, we're lucky the defense played as well as it did because I'm not sure we came to play at the highest level on that end. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, all that being said, I do want to take a look at the remainder of the season. The Seahawks are 3-1 and one right now. Um, and I want to look at the na- the rest of the season and just like talk through how the Seahawks – feel like they're gonna make the playoffs. I feel like that's kind of a given with the rest of their schedule. Do you wanna do you want me to sum up? I'll give you them in blocks of five. How does that sound? Do and you it. just tell me how you feel those games go. We've got at Bengals, Cardinals home, Browns home, at Ravens, Commanders home.
1: Yeah. I I I yeah, that's either two and three or three and two. It's gonna be one of those.
0: You really think so? I was thinking this could be like a four and one stretch.
1: The Bengals have been it's-
0: atrocious, dude.
1: Yeah, so the we should mention the Bengals anyway, just because they're our next game, even though it, it'll be after a bye. So, it's a week for now. Um, the Bengals are the most confusing team in football this year because nobody wants to like fully count them out because. They went to the Super Bowl two years ago in the AFC Championship last year, and were supposed to be. This was supposed to be their year, and they've been just awful. So bad. They've scored three points in two of their four games this year. That is disgusting. Um, so yes, based on their performance, we should smack the Bengals. Am I ready to say that we are definitely a better team than the Cincinnati Bengals? I'm. I'm not sure. I'm quite there yet. Um, Baltimore's really tough. We could win that game, but they're tough on both sides of the ball. Cleveland has the best defense in the NFL. That's my hot take. Their offense is is pretty meh, especially with the Chubb injury, but the Browns have the single best defense in the NFL and they are scary. And the Commanders are a, a well-rounded team. Every year people doubt the Commanders, but the Commanders have a top 3 defensive line. They've got a good running game with Brian Robinson, and Sam Howell's been playable. At quarterback, so honestly, that five game stretch is a tough five games. We are playing four good defenses in that stretch. Assuming the Bengals defense is good, which I, I don't know. I I really, so, uh,
0: I really think it it's going to be a four and one stretch. You you it sounds like you had one more thing to say, but let me let me go off after that.
1: Yeah no no yeah please go off. I, how about this? How about this? I give me two and three. You take four and one. If it's uh three and two it's a push. How's that? I'll take that. Five bucks?
0: Five bucks. Let's do it. The the fans Let's will know. Go.
1: <laughs> okay, go off. Let's hear it. All right. The Bengals are bad. I think
0: Joe Burrow's been injured <laughs> the entire season and they're one and three. They like the one game they won was against a bad team. I think the Bengals just aren't very good. The Cardinals are the worst team in our division. They're one and three. Obviously they beat the Cowboys and have been putting up offensive numbers, but I think we're better than the Cardinals. The Browns, Deshaun Watson hasn't, you know, he's out right now. He's been okay, but Deshaun Watson hasn't given us anything to write home about. And their defense just gave up 28 points to the Ravens as they scored three. Um, so the Browns really don't scare me. The Ravens are the only team I'm a little concerned about, um, but I really just don't, I just don't see it to be honest. Like it, it, it could be, could be something where it's a close, close game at like a 35 28. Like, I think the Ravens should beat us. That's the one that I think we could lose. Um, but we could also stop Lamar with the type of defense that we just played against the, the Giants today. Um, just Correct. getting really good pressure on the quarterback. Um, and then the Commanders, we saw them against Buffalo the other day. I think it's just a matter of getting Sam Howell on a bad day. Obviously, like you said, they're well rounded, but, I don't I I think we're even with the Commanders. They're what, two and two right now? Um
1: Yeah, we we are a better team than the Commanders. And you're a hundred percent right about a good day, bad day team. Just worth noting, their last two games, they lost three to thirty seven against the Bills. <laughs> Sam Howe was awful and they got absolutely stomped. And then this week they took the Eagles to overtime, and the Eagles were playing well, at least offensively. And I just don't know which Commanders team we're going to play because one of those teams we would definitely smack and the other one it would be a very tight game.
0: Yeah, I think the the big thing about that is it's a home game and I think we play better at home. So, just something to Truth. know. Um, Truth. Let's keep it pushing. We're in an hour in this pod, so I think we got to keep it pushing a little, little faster. But next five games, we've got Rams, Niners, Cowboys, Niners, Eagles. That's going to be a tough Jesus
1: stretch. Jesus Christ. Fuck. 0-5? It's like that honestly that it could be an 0-5 stretch. I don't think Very well it will could be. be. But it a team we've already lost to, the Niners twice, the Eagles and the Cowboys. Um I would say 2-3 would be a huge win.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say one and four. I was gonna go the complete other way and go, you know, five hundred over the next ten.
1: Okay, let's say that. Let's say five hundred over ten.
0: Yeah. And then let's go. We got three more games. We've got at Titans, home Steelers, at Arizona.
1: Love finishing easy. That's three and zero. Easy money. Mm-hmm.
0: So with that being said, eight and five over the next over the rest of the season, based on what we're saying, mm. that gets us to eleven and six. That's a really good year. That's playoff bound for sure.
1: That's that's a that's a playoff team. That's a playoff team. Um, um, I th- I think you're right. I think you're right. I think this team's a playoff team. And I, you know, we're also being pretty realistic about. Getting smacked by some of those top end teams potentially.
0: Yeah, I think you know. I'm not saying this team is Super Bowl Super Bowl contender worthy, um, but I think it's re- just just good to note that the rest of the season is is looking good and uh, it's it's shaping up well. All things yeah.
1: considered. Just I know we're pushing it, but before we go onto our lines, I just want to mention I'm getting close not to panicking but to genuinely worrying about Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um through four games on the year. He has caught zero touchdowns. Uh, he has had 13 yards, 34 yards, 10 yards, and 5 yards. Uh, the longest pass he's caught has been for 16 yards. Um, I don't know how much of this is his fault. I don't know how much of it is Gino being stubborn with his targets or the offense not being built in a way that accentuates his talents, or the fact that he's fucking 21 and just discovered (laughs) the joys of alcohol and is maybe not focusing as much as he should be on football. All those are totally fine. Um, I don't panic about rookie receivers. If we go into next year, I'll be excited for him next year. But I am approaching worrying whether or not he will be at all a factor for this year's Seattle Seahawks team. Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I think... I don't know if you have been watching... The, the games um, and really watching for how he plays. Um, but I think he might just be finding a little difficulty getting separation on those. Because like we said early in the season, he's a short route runner. He's not, uh, not going to be someone who catches those deep balls. He's going to be taking small chunks um, and trying to get those Working first downs. And uh, I just think the Seahawks offense isn't really built for that right now. And it's something that they're going to have to work into eventually. But right now, they're they've been kind of cruising with the way that they've been playing. Um, and they'll need to step it up as they get to these tougher teams. But I think they're kind of just letting him work in his routes, getting, getting the the physicality of the NFL down. And they're not really having him worry too much about, Oh, I've got to be making these big plays because that's not currently his job.
1: Yeah. It's also worth noting for a slot guy, he's pretty big. He's six foot, 200 pounds. Um, so he might be kind of stuck in that zone where he's too big to be super fast and shifty in the slot, um, but too small to be just bodying people to make his own openings um, and, you know, putting on a little muscle and getting some of that te- technique down. Things that come with time. Like I said, I'm not panicking on him as a player as much as I am questioning his value to the team this year. So Yeah, the other yeah, we'll see. that
0: is – the other side of that is Gino is not uh, not a very good slot receiver passer. He he just doesn't Correct. throw like medium length balls very well.
1: So He does not. He also has had a pretty bad year so far compared to last year. I am looking for Gino to step up his play as the year goes on. Yep.
0: Alright. Is it time? Are we are we getting into uh, both of our favorite portions of the of the shows so far for the last few weeks? Should we get into some Sound up Seattle value dogs, John
1: value dogs, baby. Let's do it. Um, to recap last week, I went one and two. I was successful picking Tampa Bay over new Orleans. And then both of us got smacked on our Miami pick. Sorry about that. And you said to liquidate my assets, John, why is our house gone? (laughs) You can't find me. I'm in Aruba. (laughs) I bet against you guys. I'm the one that won all that money. Um, no and then i also lost on my uh my las vegas over the chargers bet but that one was so close so close didn't get it um so anyway i'm back to 500 on the year
0: yeah i am uh i went 1 and 2 as well i've been 1 and 2 every week the only one that i won was the obvious one the seahawks plus 1 the falcons were atrocious in uh is it were they in london or like germany or something
1: uh, yes, they were in London. <laughs> <laughs> <And> <laughs> uh, and in then, Sri yeah. Lanka, where was that?
0: <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, the Dolphins. We both had that one, and it was not successful for us. Um, do you want first pick this week, or actually, let me just give you the rundown on the scores. Currently, John is four, four, and one, and I am three and six.
1: Just so yeah. So know. for the for the record, I'm useless in terms of value. Tyler is putting some real value out there. You just have to fade him. <laughs> Once again, any trend, good or bad, is very valuable. If you stay on one and two, you are going to be making people some serious <laughs> money when they're betting against you. So keep that shit up. That is good shit. I'm the one over here. I'm not doing my job. Um, all right. This week, let's start it off. I do want the first pick. Because, Take it. Holy crap. I do not want to pick any of these dogs. <laughs> It's like a shelter with only, only I'm not going to make dog jokes. Not the time. Um, <laughs> I am going to take the, te- <laughs> gonna take the Texans plus two against the Atlanta Falcons. Um, not a lot of good dogs this week. Got to get the value where you can. And I think this is the value dog of the week. Texans plus two against the Falcons. Um, Texans have been Awesome. They've been rock solid. CJ Stroud is a rock star. Obviously, I'm an Anthony Richardson guy myself, but in terms of like NFL poise, Stroud is easily the best quarterback out of this class. He has been so good. Their receivers, super underrated. They've got some really talented receivers there in Houston. Defense is solid. They even haven't they haven't even gotten the running game going. Damian Pierce, their running back, was a stud last year. He has been Trash, trust me, is on my fantasy team. But <laughs> if they get that going, this Texans team is going to run away with the AFC South, hot take. But the fact that they are plus two against a Falcons team with Desmond Ritter, yuck, at quarterback, um, I think is crazy. Give me those plus two points. Liquidate the assets that you kept under your mattress. I'm going to get you that mortgage back. I'm sorry, America. Um,
0: I have the Texans as well at plus two because the Falcons have no quarterback. Desmond Ritter is a corpse and he is not going to throw a touchdown that week this week. Um, Glad we're on the same page. Yeah. The Texans have been scoring like 25 points a game and the Falcons have, I have, I have a couple of their players on my fantasy team. And the only reason that they're getting points is because I have Bijan Robinson who can catch any ball within a five foot vicinity of him. And uh, Desmond Ritter just kind of throws it at the ground. So, (laughs) The Falcons are bad, and they need a quarterback very badly because they have good weapons. Drake London's good. Bijan's good. Kyle Pitts is obviously good and being underutilized. But the Texans right now, as you said, are a much better team. Um,
1: You know what's funny, man? I'm curious about our our stats when we both have the same pick. I know last (laughs) week, obviously, we got stomped on our Dolphins agreement. I think in week three, I can't remember which team we both liked. I think but it was Ravens against Bengals, right?
0: Or was it... Uh, it was Commanders. We both liked the Commanders, and that one didn't go well either.
1: You're right. Yeah, I think when we go together, it typically doesn't go well. But I really like this Texans one.
0: Um, yeah, I, I'm with you, man. Liquidating my assets as we speak. Um, oh, nice. Liquidate those assets. <laughs> one I love thing. the word liquidate. What a great word. One thing that I want to note about the the underdogs of the season so far is it's felt like the underdogs that are covering are also winning games. It doesn't feel like there's close, you know, teams aren't losing by one or two points. It's either the underdog wins or it's a a complete blowout. Um, So when I was looking for games this week, I was looking for teams that I thought could beat the other team. And let me tell you. My first pick is going to be the Cardinals plus three against the Bengals. Because as I said previously, mm. the Bengals suck, dude. The Bengals are bad. And the Cardinals have proven that they can beat good teams and score. The Bengals haven't done that yet. So that's all That's all I need to say. I think the Cardinals are decent offensively. Dobbs has been good enough. Just picked him up on fantasy, by the way, if you didn't see that. Um, and I think, yeah, I think the Cardinals have got this game on lock.
1: Um, that's totally fair, man. Um, I was really thinking about that one. Like I said, I'm still, still just holding out, um, that the Bengals might be good this year. So I'm not quite ready to commit to that, but, uh, but I do see your point. I just want to note, that's an excellent point you made about the dogs and covering and winning over weeks three and four, the last two weeks out of all the NFL games, uh, you know, in general, the favorites have been pounding, but when the underdogs won, or when the underdog is covered, they have won every single time, except for the Jets against the Chiefs, and uh, the Titans, no, no, Titans won too. Oh, and the Commanders against the Eagles, those were the two. So other than the Commanders and the Jets, this last week, in the last two weeks, every dog that is covered has also won. So good call there. It's like, Eight to two, you know, covering and winning to just covering. So that is good value. Um, with my second pick, yeah, I really thought about Cardinals, but I don't think I can do it. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the impossible. I can't believe I'm doing it. I am taking the New York Jets plus one and a half against the Denver Broncos. Wow. Um, and I, I really like it. I think the Jets are just better. I just think that they are better. Their defense is really good. We saw their defense hamper Mahomes. Some of that was self-inflicted, but we've seen it every week. This Jets defense is for real. Their running game is solid with Brees Hall. They've got one of the best receivers in the NFL in Garrett Wilson. And credit where credit's due, Zach Wilson just had his best start as a pro against a really good Kansas City defense. You know who's not good? The Broncos offense or defense. Their offense is terrible, and their defense is terrible. Zach Wilson will have opportunities to move the ball against this Broncos defense, and Russell Wilson is going to go blind from fear staring (laughs) down this Jets Jets front. So I think the Jets are better on both sides of the ball. I think they're coming off a momentum-building loss that they kept it so close and had that nice comeback against Kansas City. And I think the Broncos are like, shaking in their boots that they barely managed to beat a Bears team that is actively trying to be the worst team in football. So, um, I actually think Jets plus one and a half is really good value.
0: Uh, I appreciate that.
1: I like the battle of the Wilsons and the potential
0: resurgence. Or not resurgence, because you never really had a surge to begin with. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> the primary <laughs> surge. <laughs> Did they of, just call uh, that the Surgeons? The yeah, surgeons? I was just gonna call it
0: the Surge of uh yeah. Zach Wilson's potential NFL future. But uh I just I'm staying away from that game with a ten foot pole. I have no idea what's happening.
1: Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I don't
0: wanna watch it. I don't wanna like I don't wanna deal with that game. Um but I appreciate that you had the had the gall to uh stick with it. Um Thanks, man. With my second and final pick for my value dogs, I am going to take a team that I think could win, especially because the other team has been flip flopping like a sinusoidal function. I am going to take the Indianapolis Colts. Your Indianapolis oh, Colts
1: plus two against rat. the Titans. <laughs> you jumped my pick, man. That was my pick too. We're 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 sharing two picks this week. That's a big week. I and as
0: the listeners can see, we obviously don't discuss any of this beforehand. Um yeah, I think the Colts could easily beat the Titans. The Titans scored 3 points 2 weeks ago and then they just beat the Bengals who as I said are bad. I think the Colts are better than the Bengals. I'm I'm already crossing the, the Bengals off. So I just think the Colts are going to win this game and that's that's my that's my value dogs at the moment. I'm just taking teams that I think are going to win and I think the Colts beat the Titans this week.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of, like, bad lines this week that I I want nothing to do with the underdog on. Um, And the Colts line makes me nervous. This Titans team has a wildly inconsistent offense. Um, If Derrick Henry can run the ball, they look very scary. If Derrick Henry's having a bad day, they might be the worst offense in the NFL. Um, And the Colts defense has been really solid. So I don't know what's going to come out of that matchup. Similarly, the Titans' defense has been pretty solid. I shouldn't say they've been pretty consistent. The Titans' defense has been solid all year. The Colts' offense has been kind of swinging around. Anthony Richardson, rookie quarterback, he's been awesome, but he's prone to make mistakes. Um, So I don't really know what's going to happen on that side of the ball either. So I don't have a great read on this game, but purely vibes-wise, the Colts are riding much higher than the Titans. Uh, I like getting the points. And more importantly, I don't like anybody else. So yeah, I'm with you. We're both taking the Colts. And those are your value dogs of the week. As as always, this is unofficial, but I, I will throw out my my rancid dog of the week. The line to stay away from as far as you that possibly you can. Completely botched last week. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the dog was not quite so rancid. For the record, the dog would have been rancid if Patrick Mahomes would have ran into the goddamn end zone like he should have. But he took a knee and the dog was indeed rancid. So this week, the rancid dog of the week is undoubtedly the Giants plus ten and a half against the Miami Dolphins. This is a Giants team that is ready to go to bed. They have called their mom to come pick them up and are waiting on the stoop. Um, And this Dolphins team is going to be angry after being embarrassed by the Bills um, in that big afternoon game. Uh, I expect a trouncing. I expect a demolition. Uh, tears would not be out of the question. Uh, I want nothing to do with the Giants plus
0: 10.5. That is the only line that's greater than a touchdown besides the Panthers and Lions. And I actually think the Panthers have a decent shot at keeping with the Lions just because their offense hasn't line. been bad. That's um, a yeah, lot
1: of points. The
0: Giants are a rancid dog this week for sure. <laughs> Love it. All right. Anything else before we get off this hour and 20 minute long podcast?
1: (laughs) I'm so sorry to the people. The content was too good. We couldn't stop it from coming.
0: Uh, well, in that case, for John Carey, I'm Tyler Cartwright, and this has been the Sound Up Seattle podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find Sound Up Seattle on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. You can email us any questions or comments you may have at soundupseattle at gmail.com. You can find me, Tyler, at tycart 50 everywhere that's important, and you can find John... Hopefully returning to me soon because I miss his presence. So Uh soon, baby girl. (laughs) With that, we hope you have a wonderful Thursday. And, uh, hey, let's go Washington State. Let's go Cougs.
1: Oh, let's go Cougs. I love that. (laughs) Let's go Cougs.